David Turner announced today that it has reached a contract extension with former NBA player Shaquille O'Neal, a star of their NBA studio show. What I want to know is, is Shaqton a fool a great strain pun or a terrible strain pun? Oh, man. Well, I think I have to. I'm leaning towards the latter. The first few times that I heard it, <laughs> I did not. I couldn't even register what the pun was playing off of. I mean, I know acting a fool, but like Shaqton <laughs> is such a weird yeah. thing that I wasn't quite sure what I was looking at but or, or hearing. But with time, every bad pun becomes a great pun. You know, I mean, with, <laughs> with repetition, dads across the world can can uh, can attest to this. With, with repetition, every bad joke, every bad pun becomes wonderful. And um, and now it's just so. Um, it's there's it, the fact that it doesn't like sound like anything rolling off the tongue is part of what makes it so great. You're never gonna hear the phrase "shacked in a fool" and think of anything except Shaquille O'Neal like lazily laughing about somebody missing a dunk uh on on inside the nba he's he's you know he's good he's a, he's good at branding himself or at least he has been late of late when he's taken over papa johns and, and yeah uh, i didn't know until reading this press release that there was a shack podcast i guess i should just assume everyone has a podcast at this point mm-hmm. also did not know he was developing a show called the business of basketball <laughs> with more details to be announced at a later date I just think it's fantastic. I just think that if, you know, he it's great that he's sticking around. We all love Shaq. And uh Shaq and a fool is a crazy name that really works. And he should really just go the full the full 9 yards with Papa John's and just eat it on the air on Turner. That should be part of the deal. On that note, it's time for the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs> media consumers brian curtis and david shoemaker here with lots of stuff to get to today we'll talk about announcer meltdowns of the pandemic which have spanned from racism to homophobia to misogyny what's happening in america's broadcast booths we'll be joined by political writer ben jacobs who's covering the kanye west for president campaign how real is kanye 2020 and what's it like to cover it Plus, David guesses a strain pun headline in the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, we're recording this on the first day of the Republican National Convention. Democrats got to go last week. Now the Republicans get to try to answer. So let's do a little preview guide. We talked last week about how the Democrats traded an old-style arena convention for a full-blown TV show. Mm -hmm. Well, this week marks the official launch of Trump TV. Trump's not just going to give the traditional Thursday night acceptance speech. He's going to speak every night during this convention. And as we record this Monday morning, he has, in fact, already spoken, hijacking the traditional roll call. Dave Weigel notes that his speech today was more than twice as long as Biden's DNC acceptance speech. So Trump's bonus speeches are longer than Biden's featured speeches do we think this is sort of an obvious outcome do we think this is going to portend good things for the republican convention i just wonder if it's the new normal i mean how great would it be if there's just like if like a a a wizened and grade scott walker is like um, is is officially obligated to speak six times during the republican (laughs) convention in four or eight years or whatever um uh, i don't think this necessarily bodes well 
um, you know, we talked, mentioned last, brought up last week or last time, sorry, that um, about how four years ago it seemed like they were just stretched so thin they had to have every Trump family member up there, you know, in a primetime speaking slot. Now, I, I thought that that wouldn't be the case this time because rank and file sort of lined up behind Trump, but instead it feels even more desperate, right? Just to get the president up there every night. The flip side of that is he is their, you know, what, what do they call him? Entertainer and talent in chief. Uh, and uh, he's That's right. He's must see TV. I mean, don't tell me there's not there's nothing's going to keep you away from watching night one, night two, night three, or night four, right? I mean, even if the first three nights the most boring ones ever, you're going to keep tuning in. Um, it's in that sense, it's smart, but um, you know, people would tune in every night if there was a guarantee of like you know someone stripping their clothes off or committing a <laughs> committing a you know well, assault with a machete on TV. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get people to tune in that aren't necessarily like they don't necessarily bode well for the party. I was surprised he didn't speak all four nights in 2016, to be honest. Because at the time, as you point out, there were no quote-unquote normal Republicans at that convention. It was basically Trump, Trump's kids, and like Chris Christie and Ted Cruz, who was in fact not endorsing Trump from the stage. But I thought he was just going to go all the time. And, and this is one of those norm-breaking things that you're sort of like, why did we, if we're having a convention that is devoted to one candidate, right? This is not the convention where we decide who the nominee is going to be anymore like we did in the old days. It is a TV show devoted to pumping up one candidate. Why wouldn't the candidate speak a bunch? Why wouldn't they do that? Now, maybe it's a particularly a Trump thing because he is so compelling in his odd and often upsetting way. But yeah, I think I think when you think of Trump, of course he's going to speak all four nights. Um, the other part of this, David, that it becomes Trump TV that's so fascinating is the Republicans didn't even prepare a formal platform, which every party does at every convention is kind of an ideological superstructure for the party. They basically put out something that says, we support what Trump does, send document. Mm -hmm. So when you know all the libs write about the cult of personality that the GOP has become, <laughs> we couldn't even just copy paste you know, something from four years ago, we just, we, we support Trump. Okay. We're great. That's what this convention is about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a, in, in some sense, it's sort of this, this, uh, you know, platform thing is a little bit in the weeds. Uh, the RNC for their part has, uh, passed a resolution accusing the media of outrageously misrepresenting the implications of the RNC, not adopting a new platform. <laughs> um, <laughs> usually that's in the platform, not the response to the non-platform, but, but go exactly. ahead. But, uh, it's, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, it is. A, it, it, it's going to be portrayed as a cult of personality move and, and, and justifiably so. I mean, they obviously this is a weird year. You know, it's a weird time for for getting all your ducks in a row and counting all your you know, crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's or whatever. But this is, again, kind of in the weeds, but this is like intrinsically, explicitly like what the what the convention is for. Right. I mean, this yes. is. It, it might feel a little bit like a bygone thing, but this is like what it's like. This is the point of a convention. These are the ideas we stand for as a party going forward to be revised in two or four years. But these are this is what we stand for. And this is what we're going to run on. Mm -hmm. 
you think they were just worried that they were going to be the more like, you know, Trump people sneaking stuff into the platform like it happened four years ago? Like they have to, all the Republicans would have to answer for whatever, you know, whatever nonsense that they like, you know, put pushed in under the wire. Maybe that was yes, that that certainly would have would have made things less complicated if you're running for reelection in the Senate as a Republican. But it is his platform, just like it's any presidential candidate's platform. So I don't know. Let's talk a little bit about the production of this thing, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. You and I agreed that the Democratic convention was Veep meets a PBS telethon. Yeah, I think the Republican convention is going to be Fox News meets the Celebrity Apprentice meets Miss Universe. Wait, wait one more time. Fox News yeah, meets plus the Celebrity, celebrity Apprentice, Apprentice plus Miss Universe. Just in okay. terms of the grandeur. I don't, I don't know that we're necessarily going to get the talent portion of the competition, but just in terms of the kind of like you know, CD network grandeur of, of the thing. Mm-hmm. Trump has mandated that his convention is going to be a half hour longer in prime time than the democratic convention. So you have to tune in at eight 30 Eastern time rather than nine o'clock. <laughs> We're going to have more of it live than they did. Trump boasted <laughs> to Fox news. Okay. How is this a boast? Only the biggest time <laughs> slots, only the <laughs> grandest speaking. And get, yeah. <laughs> Only live shots that may go down at any moment because of some production glitch, making us, you know, have like mm-hmm. 10 minutes of of nothing on the air. Trump wants a less gloomy convention than the Democrats per Politico's Alex Eisenstadt. So Trump's critique of last week, and I saw lots of Republicans saying this, was this was all about the gloom and doom of the coronavirus and mass unemployment. We want something a little more upbeat. Here at the Republican Convention, <laughs> happy days are here again in the in the United States with everybody staying home and not sending their kids to school. Uh, some things we could have predicted, David. You know that nerdy roll call of the states we we so much enjoyed last week, or everybody enjoyed. Yeah. Well, that's that's been that's not a prime time thing anymore because that's actually already happened this morning. That was the thing that Trump interrupted. Okay. Trump was so bored with that idea that he just interrupted it. Uh, so that that ain't happening in prime time. I think the I think this all comes back to this idea you and I touched on last week, which is the Democrats, when they were making that convention, certainly wanted to make it watchable. But they were also mm-hmm. concerned about things like making it sensitive to various people and various groups and also going only so far. Right. Julie Louis-Dreyfus can make a joke about Trump, but she can only go to here. Right. She, we don't want to offend anybody or offend too many people. The Republicans don't have seatbelts in the same way. so. A, a convention could be much worse as a television show, but on the other hand, more sort of gripping and watchable, I guess, as a TV show than the Democratic version. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that I said last time that they could. I mean, the show could could be you know fifty percent you know of the technical value or 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 the whatever it just it could be it could be half as good as the democratic convention but still sort of seem about 90% as good because mm-hmm. you know people aren't really in it for the details but also because of what you're talking about i mean it can be uh, i mean they're they are programming a car crash and you know that's going <laughs> that has value people are going to tune in to watch it you know and um and certainly you know trump is if Trump's the big draw, you know, all of his supporters are going to be tuning in. That's a lot. That's not maybe not enough to get somebody elected. And I'm not making any predictions, but, you know, the the the, the core, the base of the base will all be tuning in. And, and, you know, probably everybody listening to this podcast will be tuning in, too. It's going to be must-see TV one way or the other. 
Yeah, and that that's you know that's kind of the Fox News aesthetic, right? Which is we're not doing this for TV critics. We're not doing this so this gets a good review in the New York Times. We're doing it so just people will watch and react to it. Mm-hmm. And it's just a completely different set of values than the Democratic convention. Uh, by the way, the New York Times reports that it, the RNC will be overseen by two former Apprentice producers, one of whom also worked on the Comedy Central roast of Donald Trump, <laughs> often on your on your LinkedIn page before you get to this produce. This is not true. This is, is a- absolutely true. That I'm not making this up. Uh, Trump, uh, according to Politico, also considered Gettysburg and Mount Rushmore for his speech on Thursday, <laughs> the final of his many speeches during the Republican. <laughs> Eventually, he's uh, settled on the White House South Lawn. But I would be shocked if there's not some giant panoramic kind of America, cheesily Americana portion of this convention. And that is absolutely in the Trump aesthetic, right? And like Trump to me, I'm the president, right? I'm yes. taking advantage of the power of the office. There's got to be something like Mount Rushmore Gettysburg happening in this convention that we have the just waving not- flag ghosted over like the, you know, eagle flying ghosted over <laughs> Mount Rushmore. Like Ooh, the-, the bird of prey lands on Trump's arm. <laughs> Like from it takes off from a perch. I like that Gettysburg and uh, Gettysburg and Mount Rushmore. I mean, do you think it's just going to be like he should speak every night from one of the four places in American history he's aware of? You know, it's just like, can can we get a camera? Can we can we set up a stage at the Boston Tea Party? Is that possible? uh, (laughs) The Alamo. (laughs) Got all kinds of things here. Other thing I'm looking for this week are lines of attack on Joe Biden. Mm Right. One thing about Trump's convention in 2016, it was completely off the rails in all respects. But Chris Christie was standing up there in front of a microphone, just saying over and over again, Hillary Clinton is corrupt. Yeah. Lock her up, which mm-hmm. when handily gifted with James Comey and the, but her emails press coverage became the formula that narrowly helped Trump win the election. We have seen Trump be all over the place on his attacks on Biden. Mm-hmm. So is he going to go with, uh, one that was mouthed by New York GOP chairman Nick Langworthy already today at the GOP convention. We have crime ravaging our streets. That is what America will see if a Biden-Harris regime runs our country. Oh God. Or will he go with this Rudy Giuliani tweet? Rudy also speaking at the RNC, by the way. I finally succeeded in getting the number of words in my convention speech below the number of small-time marijuana smokers Comrade Kamala put in prison. That is a real Rudy Giuliani tweet. <laughs> so I'm sorry. We're, this is both Ka- Kamala is a cop and Kamala is a communist, right? Like wow. <laughs> comrade Kamala. Still working comrade on that message. Discipline. That's amazing. Also from the speaker's gallery, David, this is a as much bunch of people know this last week, a very online group of speakers at the RNC. Charlie. Yeah, Kirk. In a certain sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Kirk is on the bill. Mm-hmm. Mark and Patricia McCloskey, who who are the waving the guns at the Black Lives Matter protesters, they may not actually be online themselves, but they are certainly an object of fascination online. Nicholas Sandman, the kid who was videotaped with a MAGA hat having the encounter with the Native American activist in Washington, later sued yeah. the Washington Post and other media outlets. 
and and settled with, with the post and would see and at least at least two of them for i think very large amounts of money we yeah we don't quite know but he definitely settled with if them. he wasn't a republican before now that he's got a few million in the bank you know <laughs> so we don't know that uh ken vogel of the new york times also notes that the trump campaign has just announced mary ann mendoza an angel mom an angel mom is a person often cited by trump whose child was killed by an undocumented immigrant she is going to be at the convention. Mendoza, by the way, is also on the advisory board of We Build the Wall, which was the organization at the center of the alleged Steve Bannon fraud, Vogel wow. writes on Twitter. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the rare secretary of state to speak at a convention, uh, will be speaking from Jerusalem, which is something else. Also, we have, uh, looking at the speaker list, David, a lot of jockeying for 2024. I mean, that's going to be a theme of this convention, whether Trump wins or whether he loses. The obvious names from this list, Mike Pence on Wednesday, uh, Nikki Haley, almost certainly going to run for president in four years. Christy Nome from South Dakota is another one. Tom Cotton, senator from Arkansas on Thursday. So I think as you and I watch this, there needs to be a little bit of a not only uh, election preview in the next four, couple of months coming up, but a an election preview of 2024. Yeah. And who has sort of made it through the Trump test who will, if not getting his endorsement for 2024, will actually just not make him mad and potentially succeed him in office. How do, yeah, I mean, the fine line of sort of getting his endorsement but not getting his endorsement, it's going to be a very interesting, uh, I mean, just depending on how the next four years go, obviously, it's going to be a, a very interesting line to walk. And finally this, remember the name Clifford Sims? He was the White House aide who wrote oh. Team of Vipers. Remember that of all yes, those Trump yes. tell-alls, that was kind of one of the vaguer ones that came out. Sims wound up suing Donald Trump shortly after the book's publication. Well, according to ABC's John Carl, quote, Sims is overseeing speech writing for the Republican convention. <laughs> <laughs> so we wrote the tell-all memoir about the White House. We sued the president. And now, according to John Carl, you are overseeing the speeches at the convention. <laughs> I'm so I'm so perplexed by all this. It's a perfect Trump story, right? Yeah. Right? Like everybody, everybody is, you know, embraced by Trump, cast out by Trump, and then often re-embraced by Trump. Oh yeah. But this has actually now all happened in one term. Oh, my God. It gone from best from author to to out to now writing the convention. All right, David, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious. That all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. David, we mentioned that the RNC speaker lineup would include Nicholas Sandman, the high school student. Well, it was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Enter Sandman. Uh, but it was also <laughs> the lead of a New York Daily News story. Do you think do you think Metallica has like put in this preemptively put in a <laughs> cease and desist on they're using their music at the convention? <laughs> You know, one of the underrated things about the convention four years ago is that they had this house band uh -huh. that would just play all the time. And it was it was headed by G.E. Smith, who was the leader of the Saturday Night Live band. We were kids. I was about to say his name as a joke. And then I caught myself because I vaguely remembered him actually being the truth. He was the host of the of the convention band or he was the leader of the convention band. He was. And I literally at one point I was there and I literally walked up to another reporter and I said, 
You know who that that guy looks just like G.E. Smith. Remember the guy from Saturday? And the guy goes, no, Brian, that is G.E. Smith. <laughs> Saturday Night Live fame. David, remember the controversy from the 2016 RNC? Speaking of which, Melania Trump's speech had passages that were suspiciously similar to passages from Michelle Obama's speech. Oh, that's right. At the 2008 Democratic Convention. Well, Michelle Obama gave a great speech last week, and it was an overworked Twitter joke to write. They're saying no Republican can do what Michelle just did, but Melania can give that exact same speech next week. Thanks to (laughs) Scott Porch, DRN 3030, and Gabe Hernandez for that. And finally, David, the Kanye West for President campaign, such as it is, is running into some procedural hurdles. Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Elections Commission said West cannot be on the ballot in that swing state. West will also not be on the ballot in Ohio because of, quote, petition irregularities. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, Yeezy come, Yeezy go. <laughs> we, we would have also accepted late registration. Thanks to our colleagues, Zach Cram, David Fate, and Parker Amon. If you created the first bumper sticker for Kanye 2020, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, in the notebook dump, let us do some announcer embarrassments. Uh, there's an old journalism line that in order to write a trend story, you need three examples. Well, in the case of sports announcers having meltdowns during the pandemic, we now have four examples. Oh, my God. So consider the piece assigned. Item one, Tom Brenneman, longtime Fox Sports announcer, was calling a Cincinnati Reds game last Wednesday. Brenneman didn't know he was back on the air, and he used a homophobic slur. We're not going to play it and put that word back out into the universe but it was shocking. I almost did not believe it was real the first time I saw it on Twitter. No. A few hours later, Brenneman squares up to the camera to apologize to viewers, and you got to listen to this. I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of. Uh, if I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. I don't just just stop it right there for a second, Erica. <laughs> so the Reds' Nick Castellanos comes up and hits a home run. And Brenneman, out of sense of broadcasting duty or something, shuts down his apology for a second to call the home run. That just happened in the middle of the apology. Anyway, Erica, please continue. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck, for the Reds, for Fox Sports Ohio, for the people I work with, for anybody that I've offended here tonight. I can't begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. That is not who I am uh, and never has been. And I'd like to think maybe I could have some people that uh, that could back that up. I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. Yeah. He managed to not actually say anything about, you know, the gay community who he targeted deliberately or no with his slur um sort of you know anybody i might have heard it seems like real weak sauce 
considering what he said, even no matter where it came from, no matter how, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, stopping to call the home run was just a sort of chef's kiss for, of, you know, this guy's just in the wrong place, wrong, the wrong era to be doing this job. Uh, and you know, it's hard. It's hard to imagine. I mean, it's hard to even like imagine there's any coming back from this, right? I mean, it's just like what a what a idiot. Yeah, it's certainly he's been suspended from uh, by Fox from their NFL coverage. He wrote a letter to the Cincinnati Enquirer, which he said, "I used a word that is both offensive and insulting, and in the last twenty past twenty four hours, I have read about its history. I had no idea it was so rooted in hate and violence, and in particularly a shame that I, someone who makes his living by the use of words." could be so careless and insensitive. Now, there's a discussion about whether one moment should end a person's career or not, but I really don't buy that he did not understand the history and use of this word. I mean, this guy has been calling NFL games on Fox for 26, 27 years now. Yeah. And this idea that I just didn't know, I I didn't understand how loaded this word was and how offensive uh, and hurtful this word is. I, I just don't, I'm sorry. I just don't believe that. There was another one of these last week, David, John Fokey, who calls Charlotte Hornets games mm-hmm. was at home watching last Monday's jazz nuggets game. Fokey is typing an anodyne tweet. That's supposed to say shot making in this jazz nuggets game is awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. As the Charlotte observer, Scott Fowler writes, he wrote exactly that. Except instead of the word nuggets, he typed the plural form of the N word. <laughs> and Foki has been suspended. Foki said this was not an autocomplete thing. It's just that the two letters that separate those two extremely different words were right next to each other in his iPhone keypad. Right. And he said, I just didn't, I was trying to type it so fast so I could get it up on Twitter, be part of the conversation. I didn't read it and I hit send. And then, of course, he apologized and has also been, as I said, suspended by the Charlotte Hornets. So what do we make of that one? Uh, it's, I mean, it seems believable. I mean, it, it, at first blush, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know about you. I, w- I immediately assumed that it was, well, I assumed it was autocomplete at first, which sort of isn't very, I mean, it's sort of an easy, you know, if, if it was indeed autocomplete, that's sort of like, you know, you made your bet, obviously, if we have any idea how that works. But um, but yeah, when you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. And listen, I've certainly never typed anything like that, but I've definitely like hit send on some text messages or tweets uh, that where I, you know, didn't do the proofreading I should have done. Um, that's a pretty extreme example, but, um, yeah. you know, I, I mean, it, it is, it is an in- interesting conversation about whether one moment should, should end your career. And I, and frankly, I don't think, I mean, I don't think that you know, in a vacuum that one moment should really ever end your career. But it's a whole different thing when you're calling national sports games where, you know, millions of people don't have any choice but to listen to the person who they put on TV, right? This isn't like a, you know, a cameraman on the show that's just going to be drummed out of the business and can never make a living again. Yes. Um, no one, it, it, there's room for redemption, I think, for a lot of, for for all these people. And certainly, when you're talking about does, if one moment should ruin, should should end your career, when you're talking about any sort of, severe punishment you do have to sort of look at the person right and just i mean and, and if if it is to all the people around him completely inconceivable and i don't know this but i but i believe scott fowler um 
if if it's inconceivable that he did that deliberately, um, you know, I I, I think you, th- those are the sort of facts you have to look at before you fire somebody or something. Yeah, I think it was J.A. Adonde and Fowler's piece suggested, why doesn't he turn over his phone? And they can see, you know, have you ever texted this word to anybody before? Right. Mm-hmm. So is this was it actually auto completing something or was this something again that just was a an absolute bizarre, horrific mistype that then gets to Twitter and maybe you could sort of determine what you're talking about, the context mm-hmm. uh, of the of the person and at least of his life. Then there was a third meltdown, David, not a joke, from NBC's Mike Milbury, who's covering the NHL playoffs. Listen to this riff during Thursday's Capitals Islanders game. Come here and play hockey. And it, it, I mean, if you think about it, it's a terrific environment with regards to if you enjoy playing and enjoy being with your teammates for long periods of time, it's a perfect place. Not even any woman here to disrupt their concentration. Oh, and also, too, no tra- The NHL has released a statement condemning Milbury's remarks, and Milbury has now been removed from NBC's broadcast through at least the end of the playoffs. Uh, Katie Strang had a good piece in The Athletic about this, going down through all the other things Milbury has said over the years. Uh, but that was certainly a wild one. And by the way, David, if we go back a little bit in May, the NBA star Boogie Cousins appeared in the mentions of Sacramento Kings broadcaster Grant Napier. Do you remember this? Napier tweeted all lives matter in all caps at him. Napier winds up losing his job as a Kings announcer and also his radio show in Sacramento had a very similar explanation to Brenham. And it makes me feel sick to my stomach because it is absolutely the opposite of who I am. He told the New York post, I'm 60 years old. I'll let my track record of my life and what I've done for my community and what I've done. Uh, dot, dot, dot. I wish, you know, when you write a trend piece, you're supposed to have a unified explanation for these. And, you know, I guess you could say these games are weird and sort of casual and there are no fans and maybe really that somehow is a, a way for something awful to happen in the broadcast booth. But, I don't know. Millberry's been saying strange things for years. I, I, I don't have a through line here through all these things. No. I mean, I I think there probably is a through line. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's a through line. I mean, there probably is some degree to which, like, the production teams have switched up, and we know baseball is operating differently, and, and, and uh, you know, true. there's just people are, maybe the, the, the red, the on-air light isn't coming on at the same cadence as it used to or something. I think the real important through line is that, uh, you know, the trend PCness of the whole thing allows us to do a segment about it. It makes people think about it. It makes people are talking about this now. And to the extent that like, this is a thing that's still going on in the world, in the booth and anywhere else. Um, you know, the through line is like, people still talk like that, you know, and, and, and we need to be, be wary of it. We need to be aware that this sort of stuff's still going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. David, I don't know about you, but I've been reading a dozen or so news items about Kanye West for president, Mm -hmm. and most of them have been by Ben Jacobs. So I wanted to have Ben on to talk about that and other stuff about covering 2020. Ben Jacobs is a political reporter who has written about topics like Georgia becoming a 2020 battleground. But during this year's campaign, Jacobs has also produced heroic service journalism to help us answer a question. What size air quotes should we put around the Kanye West for president campaign, which Jacobs writes is not serious, but it's not a joke either. 
Ben's here to talk Kanye 2020 and other stuff about election reporting. How are you, Ben? I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, excited, excited for yet another Kanye ballot deadline. <laughs> They're coming fast and furious, aren't they? It's, it's you know, it's the time to see whether uh, whether you know whether Kanye plays with the potato growers. <laughs> there we go. So first off, we got to do journalistic behind the scenes. Who or what got you on this story to begin with? Uh, it's it's um, so. I originally, like most sane people, took the Kanye thing is a total joke by, uh, you know, Kanye of his, of his own interesting thing. And, uh, you know, at the end of his tweet, he had an interview with Forbes where he said he wanted to run the country like Wakanda, <laughs> uh, the, the, the country from Black Panther. Right. But whatever, Kanye, Kanye. Um, and then I got a call from someone who said that they knew someone who had been approached to work for Kanye in Florida. They, they get paid five grand for the week to go down to Florida and make sure Kanye got the ballot. And I reached out to this person. I still was like, okay. Um, it turned out he, the, the person had, uh, had tape recorded these. So the recordings of it was for real. And then it's like, oh, you know, when I, without the tape recordings, even then I might not have been able to work things, you think seriously. And that got me down the rabbit hole and I, I have not left since. <laughs> so that's the moment when it goes from celebrity says something in an interview and tweets something to this at least has the partial machinery of an actual presidential yeah. campaign. Spending real money and doing at least a facsimile of the basic blocking and tackling. So in your political reporter brain, are you excited like, oh, this is going to be something that will stand out in the midst of all this campaign reportage or you say this was going to be a fun distraction for a day from Biden and Trump. I'm just curious what the heck's going on. Uh-huh. Like, you know, there's, there's, I'm, I'm still not quite sure what's going on even at this point, <laughs> but you know, look, it's, it's the type of thing where it's sort of a question of what's what going on because obviously Kanye West is not, not just very rich. Um, but he, uh, he also, has has a platform that uh, that enables him if he so chose, which he really hasn't chose to to jump into the news cycle and has the potential to be disruptive and have an impact. Even if I don't think anyone outside of perhaps Kanye anticipates him stepping into the Oval Office in January twentieth, twenty twenty one. So he's had one campaign event, such as yeah. it was. He's not going to be in the debates you've written because he's not on the ballot in enough states. Mm-hmm. And you also noted last night on Twitter that he has not filed a federal election commission report, which is now somewhat overdue. So to what extent does his presidential campaign actually exist? That's a good question. Um, that Kanye is doing ballot access and he's still trying to get on the ballot in places right now. Um, that there are elements of this that really feel like uh, sort of classic sort of quirky perennial candidate. There's, for example, a gentleman named Rocky De La Fuente who ran for Senate in nine different states in 2018. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, all, there's elements of that too. But they're spending the money to do ballot access. They're hiring lawyers. They had lawyers, for example, there's a hearing in Wisconsin about whether it could appear on the ballot. And they had a lawyer appearing on their behalf. They had a lawyer on their behalf in Illinois where he got kicked off the ballot. They have people going around, around in places who are often Republican operatives or tied to Republican campaigns, that there's something going on, going on here and that there's something real. They're spending money doing stuff, but it's a question of what the mechanics are outside of that. Um, and 
they're certainly not spending money on any you know basic press staff responding to inquiries trying to get their message out and it feels like it's just the idea that you spend money liberally to get on the ballot and uh let let things happen from there so there's no central kanye for president entity that you can call for comment when you write one of these stories their email addresses you can go through there's actually a prominent a well-connected Republican operative named Greg Keller, who's working for Kanye, um, who has not commented on it. And occasionally, as I noted, tweeted tweeted just this morning um, that the election is a choice between Republicans or anarchy. Mm. And uh, he did respond to my tweet by noting, journalists has had a hard-on for my tweets for several weeks. <laughs> you know, you're getting paid by one presidential candidate and you're promoting the party of another. What's going on? Um, right. Craig has not been responsive at all since he, you know, ended up having his name uh, name in uh, in files uh, as listed as the point of contact with the Arkansas Secretary of State for the campaign uh, about a month ago, which I get the feeling he didn't anticipate being public record, but it's his heart. Now, you talked about ballot access a second ago. When someone runs for president, essentially they have to get on the ballot 51 times, 50 states plus Washington, D.C. And I was amazed by the low threshold, which you've reported on to do this in some states. This is me being sort of a political novice here. Tennessee, you only have to have 275 valid signatures to run for president in that state. Yes. And keep in mind, a valid signature is different than a signature that people would normally screw up their signatures so that normally you're collecting two times or three times as many to be safe. But the range goes from there four states where you can just write a check. Uh, Tennessee, it's 275. And then it goes all the way up to California, it's 200,000. Mm. Signature thresholds are not correlated for size. That, for example, Wisconsin and South Dakota had the same deadline. But I think you needed twice as many signatures in South Dakota as you needed in Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin is a much larger state. It's all sort of state by state and very loosey-goosey, and of course, thrown even another curveball by the pandemic. And then you submit a slate of electors, essentially. So like Virginia has 13 electoral votes. Mm -hmm. So so Kanye picks 13 people in the extremely unlikely event he wins the presidential election in Virginia. They are going to vote for Kanye West. The electoral votes for him because, of course, which is something many of the electors don't appreciate as sort of basic civics. We don't vote directly for president. We vote to, for people to cast electoral votes in the electoral college and whoever gets the most electoral votes wins, which is, of course, why Hillary Clinton got through a million more votes in 2016, but lost the election because Con- Donald Trump, excuse me, won more state and more. Careful electoral. there. Yeah, Kanye West did not. Don't, don't add yet another conspiracy theory to the 2016 election. I want to ask you about this. So you tried to contact those 13 people in the case of Virginia that the West campaign had put up to be electors. What happened when you do that? Um, They were very surprised that I didn't get in contact with with all of them, that they'd submitted the forms that many of them, they thought they were just signing a petition for something. And there's a notary there. They didn't know what the elector was. Several of them said, you know, one of them said that she knew she was an elector. She didn't know it was for Kanye West. She just thought it was, you know, maybe the libertarian or something. I had no idea what they're saying, you know, with Kanye West. And one woman's response was, is this, ask me, is this a joke? Then when I said, no, I'm serious, this is, you know, and read out, you know, her address, her email address, all this information put on the forum, like to make sure her response was holy guacamole. (laughs) 
kick it off, and that people have been generally surprised that this was, and this is something new that they've done, because previously their electors late in a number of states had been Republican activists, that they had one elector in Vermont who is literally a delegate to the RNC in Charlotte right now um, as a Trump thing. And my, my best read on that is they realize instead of working through the Republican networks that, you know, there's another state where Republican operatives sent an email saying, hey, folks, this is a little bit funny, but if you want to do this, and just found random people in grocery stores where they're signing petitions and parking lots and just, you know, having the notary there and getting them to fill out a little bit more information and covering their base that way. And at least one person said they were just asked, would you like to be an elector? Yes. Without the name attached to it. And they said, well, that sounds fun. Sure. Where do I, where do I sign? And they are now an elector for Kanye West. And can you get off that? Can you unelector yourself? Um, That's an interesting legal question involving specific points of Virginia law. Uh Virginia, I believe has, has the, is one of the States where uh, electors have to be uh you know, have to be bound for uh, bound for who they're voting for, which is not the case. You have faithless, faithless electors, excuse me. So I'm sure if they announced that they would not cast their electoral votes for Kanye West, if he won, won they could be stricken off. But the mechanics of that are relatively, uh, are something I've not looked into. And frankly, are unusual because normally to be an elector, you support the candidate. You know what you're doing. That normally for Democratic and Republican activists, being elector is a big deal. It's something you know activists fight over because they can say they got this honor. This is something that's uh, that's you know unique, you know special to do. And even for smaller parties, for Greens and Libertarians, you know they know what they're doing. They're asking people want to do it. I know someone who was once a Green elector and got asked and said, "Sure, why not?" But it was specifically to be a Green elector. They didn't have a lot of people. Yeah, this is this is where it's just you know throwing stuff against the board. And, you know, I think part of it is also that I'm imagining that other small fry candidates do this, that when you see the random, you know, perennial candidate X, perennial candidate Y on the ballot that there's, you know, who's paying to do this, the Rocky Del Fuentes, that it's the same thing, but no one ever calls up a Rocky Del Fuente elector or thinks about Rocky Del Fuente, except in Kanye West podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, it reminds me of when I used to live in New York and I'd walk through Times Square and someone would say, do you like comedy? Except this time they just say, do you want to be an elector? Yes. <laughs> My answer to both questions is yes. So why not? Um, West, you have reported registered as a Republican in Wyoming. He was, of course, yeah. in the Oval Office with Donald Trump two years ago. He's had conversations with Jared Kushner over the last couple of weeks. Um, naturally, the question one thinks is, is this a very high-profile rat-fucking operation that is somehow tied to the GOP? What evidence is there of that? There are certainly elements of that. But Kanye, of course, keep in mind, he registered to vote as a Republican after he announced his presidential bid. He tweeted on July 4th, I'm running for president. And then on July 9th, he went to the Board of Elections in Wyoming, where he registered as a Republican after saying he never registered to vote before. Mm. Right. Uh, that the campaign is sort of studded with these Republican operatives that in Wisconsin, the lawyer who filed his petitions for him uh, literally one week before uh, had signed a legal brief on behalf of her client, Donald J. Trump for president. And that you have all these operatives studded in and all these connections. But it, this also is not just pure rat fucking. Like Kanye is a Kanye is a crazy third-party candidate running in weird states is not the most effective way to do this, but this feels, 
it's as I've sort of described, it's a hybrid, that there are elements of stuff. There's elements of these vanity candidates there. There's certainly, a, you know, someone who's has had bipolar episodes and has delusions of his electoral ability getting taken advantage of by consultants who see an easy payday. There is this Republican aspect of it here too. And it's sort of all of them combined. And what's very clear about not just how uh, his ties, but the fact that Trump has spoken about Kanye's presidential campaign, even after it started and Kanye very warmly when he was asked about it. And that the typical Republican MO uh, under Trump is that if you have any ties, you know, if you sniffed around Bill Weld, who was the former Massachusetts governor who had a sort of quixotic primary attempt against Trump, if you sniffed around him, you were dead to the world. But here you have Republicans with ties to Republicans signing on to Kanye without any repercussions. And that's sort of the sign that in the world of Donald Trump, in which you're either with me or you're against me, and anyone who's against me needs to be killed with fire as my enemy, that you're not perceived as the enemy siding on with Kanye West is certainly interesting. And that, you know, none of this is makes sense as one thing. It's not rat fucking, it's not a vanity campaign, it's not, you know, Kanye suffering from whatever stuff he has. It's sort of a combination of all of them in a way that we never recognized before. And the analogy that sort of makes sense is like I'm Captain Cook getting off the boat in Australia and seeing the kangaroo for the first time. Like it looks like about six different animals I know, but it's none of them in trying to figure out what exactly it is. Yeah, that certainly makes it unique. So it doesn't really matter if he's on the ballot in a state like Tennessee where Trump's going to win big anyway. But let's say he's on the ballot in Arizona and it's a super tight swing state. Do we have a sense of how Kanye would affect the election? That's a good question. And no one no one has any hard data. The polling that's around shows that Kanye is far less popular with Democrats than he is with Republicans, that Kanye is viewed, you know, far more unfavorably um, than favorably among all demographics. But you're more likely to have a positive view of him if you're a Republican. And that raises questions about what his appeal is, that you know, the theory of the case behind this is sort of the somewhat sort of not, not you know, almost borderline racist idea that African-American voters will just default and vote for an African-American regardless of why, you know, without taking into account that Kanye is, you know, the guy not just who appeared in a MAGA hat, who not just said crazy things about Harriet Tubman, who's, you know, who's released songs like I Am a God. Like there are other issues in which were their concerns, but that all gets trumped by the by his skin color. But that it really seems like the demographic for Kanye, and I've talked to folks about this from both parties, and it's figuring out is you know nihilists. It's the type of folks you know if you're want to vote for a, a controversial celebrity who says wacky things and just want to blow everything up, and that demographic does not sound like a Biden voter. <laughs> um, you know, it's going to be less politically engaged. The best demographic model that I have for it is younger, white, non-college educated men. Mm, who are just casting a nihilistic kind of, why not kind of vote. Yeah, that it's sort of, you know, that the type of thing that if you're a Kanye voter, your favorite Jay-Z song is his collaboration with Lincoln Park. Like, very, <laughs> it's that sort of world. <laughs> All right, here's the mandatory question for any journalist who comes on this show. You start out in journalism. You went to you went to law school. You have that background. What did you want to be when you grew up as a journalist? What did I want to be when I grew up as a journalist? Yeah. You started the profession. What did you want to be when you grew up? I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. I just 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 you know the I just wandered into it by a series of uh, unique accidents. 
Mm-hmm. After, the, after the illegal legal academy collapse, <laughs> one knew a guy, knew a guy, knew a guy. And, uh, you know, I started uh, writing editorials for the Boston, Couchsurfing in Boston and writing editorials if they get published in the Globe at 75 bucks a pop. Mm-hmm. And of course, ended up from there wandering into the, you know, to the Daily Beast as a weird, overworked kid. And the rest was, rest was history. What's been the biggest difference about covering 2020 from the couch or largely from the couch versus being out on the road right now? No voters. I mean, that we're in a world we don't see voters. There's not the sense that you see so much is reliant among folks that the last big story that I did on the road was doing a story on, which gives you a sense of how long ago this was, was Michael Bloomberg's presidential campaign um, in North Carolina, getting a sense of what was actually going on and like seeing stuff and seeing them. They put on a fake canvas for me. Mm-hmm. And, like and just seeing sort of the type of actual mechanical things were going on and what the office looked like and how people reacted to it that you know you can get pundits you can get politicians but actually getting a sense of what things look like on the ground and how people react to this is what really really matters because i always think about that with voters because you know it's funny there's this idea right we read a political story in the new york times or washington post it has all the kind of mechanical back and forth that the reporters got. And then there's said, uh, you know, Ben Jacobs, uh, who was seen at the rally in Ohio. And I always find that as a, as a kind of ornament on the Christmas tree of a political story, I'm like, well, this is just one person. But the idea is if you can talk to enough of them, you do get a true sense and some sense of what you talk to enough. And it depends on where you're talking and what the circumstances are that obviously talking to voters at a general election event you're not going to run into undecided voters at a Trump rally or a Biden rally. Not that I, really, I mean, but certainly the, the best place to talk to voters at political events is in Iowa or New Hampshire, where you have undecided people showing up to see each candidate 12 times at poke and prod, and you actually get stuff. But that sort of getting stuff in terms of events that there's still, there's less of a demand now, thank goodness, for like the Trump voter and the wild story. Mm-hmm. Yes. But one of the most, uh, which became a terrible cliche, but a useful thing that I did, you know, is how you do it. If you're standing outside a supermarket and trying to grab people, um, if you pick the right place or the right time or going through and trying to make sure you're getting, getting a sense of folks. And even at events, if you're measuring different things and different enthusiasm, but just getting a feel for why people are there and what motivates them. But it's, you know, every, anything you can do to get a sense of what's, actually happening outside a little bit of the bubble is important. The weird thing is standing outside a grocery store, you might find yourself next to the uh, Kanye signature collector who was asking people if they wanted to be an elector. You're asking for the mood of the electorate. They're saying, do you want to be an yeah. elector? Yeah, 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 which, which, which is their, their, their sock move. I haven't run into any of those folks when I've been out there. And, you know, it's all useful. But if you can go on with campaigns when they're door knocking and seeing how people react at the doors and just stepping back and also seeing, you know, that's always going to be a little bit of a put on too, but seeing, you know, what even they're giving you and what, what the show is, because you can also tell something by, you know, you're going to get fed what they want you to see. But if you know what you're looking for, what they want you to see can still be very revealing. For sure. All right. One more for you, Ben. Dave and I were talking about the DNC last week and we thought it was a combination of a PBS telethon, an episode of Veep and a Chevy truck commercial with those Bruce Springsteen bumpers we kept hearing. Uh, what is the RNC going to look like this week, do you think? Um, the RNC is just going to look like uh, Fox News. I, I'm really 
curious about the production values, and there's going to be the rush. But as of now, as we're speaking right now, President Donald Trump has interrupted the roll call where he's <laughs> nominated and has gone on for an hour um, and counted. He started off by saying Democrats are trying to steal the election, but it's just going to be the Trump show. That so much of this is going to be base material built around Trump, built around sort of the Fox News world. The fact that it's like the, um, you know, the Marvel extended universe, it's the Trump extended universe. This is going to be the type of world in which it's going to be laying out a universe of concerns that are going to be very familiar to a Fox News viewer, but like don't translate elsewhere. Then, you know, it's when you look at a lot of Trump's tweets, they're sort of from a very particular world that these are not tweets about, you know, everyday concerns about the coronavirus or healthcare and employment, but it's, you know, Obama was spying on me and liberal cancel culture, that this is just going to be very much within the closed universe. It's going to be something that, you know, doesn't necessarily appeal to folks that you know, Democrats got criticized for trying, you know, probably John Kasich speaking, having too many Republicans speak and being too bipartisan. This is going to be the type of event in which if you're not watching Fox News primetime, you may need some cliff notes. Uh-oh. So I'm going to need some cliff notes. Uh, I'm just going to put that out there right now. Uh, you can read Ben Jacobs' continuing coverage of 2020. And the Kanye West campaign in particular at New York Magazine and many other places. Ben, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. All right, it's time for David Shoemaker Guesses, a strain pun headline. Yay. Thank you, sir. Thursday's pun, the title of Toronto coach Nick Nurse's memoir was Rapture. Rapture. Uh, we did have one vote for Rap Tour de Force. <laughs> which have been also a good memoir title. This week's pun comes from Robert Hess. It's from the CBS Weekend News. David, I want you to listen to the first couple of seconds of this urgent report. Okay, the idea of using a public bathroom with see-through walls may sound like the stuff of nightmares, but a famous Japanese architect is hoping to change that view. All right, a public <laughs> bathroom with see-through walls. <laughs> And this they, feels really fake. This feels like when, one of those like <laughs> one of those stories you see on the bottom of on the bottom of a of a web page, and you click on it only to realize it was published like five years yeah. ago, and it's just been sitting there like drawing traffic <laughs> from idiots like you for the whole time. And has a picture of a celebrity just like with a horror <laughs> look of horror on their face. Yeah. yeah, it also feels like the headline that when you're in the cabs in New York City in the old day, it would just go yeah. by on the screen. You couldn't click it; it would just say like "see through bathroom in Japan." Yeah, and you're and like, you'd, what? You'd, what? You only saw a few of the words. Yeah, just trying to yeah. Cannot back page on that. All right. All so right. the so headline we're looking for, yeah, and it was the headline, so to speak, is the Chiron, the the subject title there on the CBS Weekend News. What was CBS's strained pun headline? Uh, God, is caught with your pants down. Uh, mm. Is it a? Is it a? Is it a? Going to the bathroom? More like is it a toilet uh, can? Uh, Getting there. Uh, John, how about, a, how about a British word for bathroom Lou? Mm-hmm. Lou? or water closet? Uh, Lou, uh, um, uh, looky Lou, looky Lou's. Is yeah, that right? Looky Lou's. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good, good for the CBS weekend. News. I, bet, I, bet our, I bet our listeners are going to have a whole lot, a whole lot of good ideas on this one. Yeah. And, some, and even some of them will be printable. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis research by Chris Almeida and production magic by Erica Cervantes. Programming note, we're back Friday instead of Thursday so we can capture all the wonders of the Republican convention.
Please join us and our team of Vipers then. See you then, David. <laughs> See you later, Brian. <laughs>